Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. On Friday, what we do is a little thing called we have the brightest conversation in Hamilton Radio, and I, I always bring someone in to talk about all kinds of stuff. Well, today I'm doing something a little bit different. We do this probably about once a year, give or take. Uh, there is a voice that you hear on this show all the time, all the time, but you hear it in, you know, bits and pieces, a little bit here, a little bit there, not all that much. And every once in a while, because I really do, and I'm saying this with all sincerity, I really do think he is one of the most intelligent people of his age in the mid twenties age bracket you're going to find anywhere. I thought, you know what, this is going to be that, that show. We're going to bring Ben and Ben is my guest today. We're going to be talking with Ben, who you hear all the time. As I say, he's on the other side of the glass. He does all the hard work on this show, but he's a guy who can carry his own weight for sure. And I said, well, let's do it today. Let's do the Ben show today. You think we can change their opinion on my intelligence? We're going to find out. We're going to find out. I mean, I, I, I think, you know, I do hear from people when I bump into people who do call in and we get people who come up to me and say, yeah, I call in all the time. They love Ben. They, they love Ben way more than they love the host. I'll tell you that much. So, um, yeah. So I wanted to bring Ben. Did you, by the way, did you have to drive, you had to drive in today? Yeah, I drive in from Guelph. All so. right. And where, how was it coming in from Guelph? Did you run into it? It was great going up until the 403. Uh-huh. And then it, it's one of those things where you just kind of sit there and go, how does it back up all this way? It's amazing. I come in on the Burlington side coming in and yep. still it's bumper to bumper. My trick though? Stay in the slowest lane, stay in the far right lane, and nobody stays in that lane. Keep riding it all the way up to Main Street and then jump over. There is probably five, six, seven times a year there will be an accident on the highway, a significant accident on one of the highways around town. And it's always amazing to me how that can completely bog down everything in the city because everyone's trying to get off and get onto the side streets and whatever else. Well, now, you know, the link we are seeing very clearly, we are seeing very clearly. We saw it on Tuesday when there was that horrible accident. Feel hoping that whoever was involved is doing okay. Uh, but we saw it on Tuesday when everybody was having to peel off. I mean, I, to get, I couldn't get down here on Tuesday. So I was filling in for Scott Thompson on Tuesday. I was coming from East End Hamilton couldn't go on the link, obviously. I mean, I could, but it would have taken forever. I ended up having to do a circuitous route that almost took me to Caledonia, it seemed, just to find a path, a road that wasn't completely shut down. But isn't that the beauty of when this happens? You get to enjoy the wonders of this city, the surrounding areas, yeah. the areas surrounding those surrounding areas. Yeah. I mean, it, look, I, I love this city. It's a lovely drive. My wife and I were down in the Grimsby area today because we were at a store. We had to look at something there. It's a lovely, beautiful part of the world. It's a great place to drive unless you're trying to get home after a day's work or trying to get to work. I mean, this morning, if my numbers are correct here, if I, I was not awake yet at this time because I just wasn't today. I slept in a bit. But apparently they closed the link for the repairs at 8 this morning. Who plans to shut the thing down <laughs> in the middle of rush hour? Why not at least wait till after rush hour? If you're going to ruin one rush hour, why do you have to ruin them both? And at the very least, that's when people are in your you're in your routine yes. in the very early morning. Not the, even thinking, oh, they're going to close the link. You have just now committed and, ah, oh, crap, now I'm not going to be at the office till noon. This is this. we got to take a break. This is why... This is the one good part of COVID, learning to work from home. You don't have to deal with this stuff. We never complained about this stuff when we all work from home. Rough day for traffic here in the city. Hopefully, 
tomorrow and the next day, weekends, people avoid the link as they can and things settle down a little bit. But yeah, it was a, just like Tuesday when there was a big accident, another miserable day, all the areas around the link. And talking with Ben today, we decided we're doing a a Ben show today because we always hear from Ben and people love Ben. But you only get to hear snippets, and I thought, let's. We, every once in a while we do this. Let's bring Ben in here. Ben, the city of Hamilton has plans. We talked about it when I was filling in for Scott Thompson this week with the director of transportation, and councillors will tell you this. There are plans to make Main Street into a two-way street. That will partially affect things, but they also want to put bike lanes all the way and wider sidewalks and other stuff so that basically you could be looking at two lanes heading east, one lane coming west, but then on King Street, you're going to have presumably at some point the LRT built, which will take up all the middle lanes, so maybe two lanes west. You're going to see nine or ten lanes of traffic whittled down to roughly half, if that, in years to come. And I don't know why... Like, I can understand the, well, we want to make this more accessible to pedestrian traffic. Safer, yeah. Safer. Slower. But we see what this traffic is like in its current state. Why would you want to go and say, we need less or fewer lanes of traffic well, because they want happen. they want it to be slower. They make no bones about the fact that they want it to be slower and safer. But the the problem that I think we have is that's a fine concept. It's a fine idea. This vision zero idea, it's a fine thing. We should strive to have fewer accidents. That's a really good thing. Agreed. But it seems as though the spinoff might be far more significant than people are thinking. This is not, I don't think, simply going to slow people down a bit. This is going to create, I think, what we're seeing up on the mountain today, chaos. It's going to make downtown and the lower city impossible to drive through. And part of the problem, I think, also comes down to simple volume. When you have a lot of cars, you need to get them out of the area so that way they're not in the area causing that blockage. There and that's was... that weird balancing act that I think has to be struck is between having the, well, we just got to get the cars out of here so that way they can be vacating the area. At the same time, how do you get them out safely? Well, uh, there was a time, not that long ago, that if you drove along, for example, Golf Links, Ro- Golf Links Road in Ancaster, those of you who know where Costco is, that area, that the lights were syncopated, is that the right word, synchronized, so that if you drove the speed limit, you would hit green. Once you got going, you would hit green all the way. That got changed. So now, very often, you hit red, 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 red. My th- thinking is, rather than... If you want to slow people down along Main Street, why not simply adjust the lighting system with a computer program that would not allow for it to be green, 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 where you would end up being slowed down. And then if you have an accident, for example, on the highway and everyone is pouring off the highway into the city, or if for some other reason there's a big problem, you could adjust the lights to move things quicker. This is a permanent change that will be made that will permanently impact the downtown, and you know who else it's going to impact? All uh, it's going to uh, impact, and I know some councillors in the past have been mocked for talking about this, but they're right. It's going to impact Aberdeen and all the other streets that run alongside, and then the side streets behind them, because people are going to be whipping through all the side streets. And that's why I make that kind of half joke of the, you get to see the surrounding area, yeah. and then the area surrounding the surrounding area, 
Because exactly that, if you're going to be doing more work, you're going to make traffic even worse to alleviate bad traffic. Well, then you're going to end up having to upgrade the other areas because then you're going to end up having blockages on the other one-way streets and people finding out, oh, this is actually a one-way street, not a two-way street. So now I've got to stop, kind of do that weird 16-point turn to try and turn around uh-huh. and then keep moving along, which just slows everything else down. Well, let me throw one other thing at you here. The city is now paying a head of climate change office a lot of money for a salary and there's a whole climate change office. If we are this concerned about the climate in this city that we're going to hire all these people, how is it then that we are deciding to intentionally lead to bottlenecks that will cause more idling and more emissions? And building on that, when does a car have its least efficiency in its acceleration, well, short of idling, in its acceleration? Stop and go, stop and go doesn't help either. So you're accelerating on top of that just simple sitting and idling. Yep. So, no, the people downtown, if you're concerned about emissions or air quality, whatever, if you live downtown and this happens, I'm telling you, you're going to have more. You're going to have more. I know we've heard complaints in the past from people saying we should have rules about idling in drive-thrus because, well, that's what it's going to be. It's going to be a long, long, long drive-thru. And I, I, I am not arguing that we shouldn't do something to slow people down along Main Street. I'm not arguing that we should do that. I'm not arguing that there are accidents and therefore we should do that. But I think there are other ways besides intentionally making the road undrivable for people. Do you think part of the problem might be we're trying to make roads in Hamilton everything that you want? You want it to be a bil- something that people can walk along the sides something that people can ride their bikes along the sides of and something that people can drive on and that the buses can go on and in some areas trucks can go on as well instead of trying to focus areas to be this is the car centric zone you're able to go faster but that's also not an area that pedestrians can go through you think of something like a highway it's dedicated to vehicles going as fast as well going faster It's dedicated to that efficiency model. You don't have businesses on the side. What if we had something to that idea where you're able to have a car area or a vehicle only area, not pedestrians, Mm. not bikes. And and look, uh, I think there would be people who would be on board with that, but there's a lot of other people who are saying, no, roads are not just for cars. Roads are for bikes. Roads are for, well, not roads, but sidewalks are for people. They have to be safe. And again, I get that. I get that. But I also understand that you don't want to create a situation where your streets become undrivable. There's got to be, there's got to be some me, happy medium here where our intent is not to, or the target or the ultimate end result is not going to be to make everything undrivable. Go to, if you don't want to drive, go to downtown Toronto with your car and just drive along one of those streets. That, that's, that's where I believe... Maybe not exactly to that amount, but a lot closer to where we are. That's where we're going to be heading, where you are going to not be able to drive. And then what happens? What happens once that takes place and people have experienced that, Ben? They don't want to drive ever. They don't want to come to that area. Right. So anybody who lives in these suburbs are going to avoid the downtown like the plague. And don't tell me that all these people who live in Waterdown and Flamborough and Stony Creek and Dundas and Ancaster are suddenly going to suddenly say... Oh, you know what? I got to go downtown. I really am going to take the bus. They're not. 
The, the transit system is not sufficient. It doesn't work well. And people don't want to spend their entire flipping day coming from Flamborough to the downtown. On, on a, it, it, unless the bus system improves so much that you can get down there in like half an hour. And it never will, in my opinion. This is, anyway, I just, I, I look at this and I think this is, a, this is a plan that is destined to do more harm than good. Destined to. Uh, by the way, a couple uh, comments coming in from our last topic. Main Street will be a nightmare. I'm thinking of moving out of downtown, one text says. Uh, didn't include a name, but there's a thought. And we had a call say, just why not just have more speed cameras along there? If you want to slow it down, why change everything? Make more speed cameras. I don't know that people will love that, but I think they would love it more than absolute gridlock. Anyway, uh, Ben is with me today. We're doing a special Ben show today on this Friday, brightest conversation in Hamilton radio. If you are a regular, you know, Ben, he's the guy who does all the heavy lifting on the show here and talks to you when you call in and chimes in occasionally, uh, today though, once, but once a year, once or a couple times a year, maybe we like to let Ben spread his verbal arms. I was going to say spread his verbal legs a little, but that really sounds weird. <laughs> Stretch his verbal legs. It's, it's not, not that kind of show, right? <laughs> Stretch his verbal legs. That's, that's the phrase. Yeah. I was going to say, as it's coming out of, as that phrase is coming out of my mouth, I'm going, wait, that's not right. What's the wrong word in there? Uh, sp- stretch his verbal legs. All right, Ben. Um, <laughs> yeah, definitely not that kind of show. So every city council that takes office, uh, every group, I mean, every tenure, every term of city council seems to end up with an issue that defines them. We had the councils that had to do with the Red Hill Creek Expressway. We've had councils that had to do with the stadium. We've had councils that had to do with um, LRT. Yeah, heaven knows, LRT. This council, it might be encampments. That's the way it's starting to look right now, that encampments may be the issue that defines and ties this council up in knots. And they have been talking about it now for a while. It's abundantly clear that you have two very, very different points of view on council here. You have the one group that, for lack of a better term, is live and let live. These people deserve to live somewhere and we can't kick them out because they're humans. The other group says, no, we can't have people living in our parks in tents. It's not right. There's syringes and safety issues and it's not humane. Today there was a rally, although I use the term loosely because it looked like it was a gathering of very, very few people who were upset at one of the proposals that was made earlier this week that would allow people to sign up and and maybe help out one of the people in an encampment who is presumably not desperately mentally ill or uh, facing addiction issues. Someone who's just down on their luck. Where you've been sitting here listening for weeks and weeks now with conversations we've had on this show and other ones. Where do you stand on encampments? What, what should city council, what do you think, what would you do if you were on city council? Personally, I really like this idea of letting people come in and help. Because one thing that I see across these two different groups is they both agree people need to live somewhere. Yes. Some people do want to live on the streets. That is undeniable. There are people who will tell you, I like this. I enjoy this. This is something that I want to do. Or I prefer it over the alternative Absolutely. of whatever. So they may not even enjoy it, but it's better than any other option they've had. Okay, carry and on. And so people who feel that way, I think, absolutely, 
If you want to live that way, live that way. So long as you're not infringing on other people's stuff, that's by all means, go ahead. There are people who don't want to be living in these situations. And that's where something like this list of, hey, do you want to help? Here's an opportunity to volunteer your time, your space, in whatever capacity you want, come and help because there are people who want that help. Something as simple as, I can't afford my rent, I get evicted, you are now homeless. You have nowhere else to live. Here is an opportunity for somebody to say, you can live in my house, you can live in my backyard, you and can that's help. The, yes, and those are the people, see this is what's lost in this whole thing, and this, this, this rally today, which quite frankly was, was sad. Because the idea here that we shouldn't have this opportunity Somehow the, the, the people who often scream the loudest that something should be done now screaming, oh, but don't demand that anybody else do it except government. That, that to me is totally misguided. We're not talking. I don't think the, I don't think city council who voted for this, I don't think they're talking about taking in someone who has horrible mental health issues that needs professional treatment or that is doing meth on the street and has, you know, struggling with addiction issues. They're talking about the people you just described who we always hear, but for the grace of God, you could be there. Okay. If, if this is a case where there are people who are on the street in the encampments simply because they have run out of luck and they don't have another place to go, but they are otherwise for, for, uh, this is going to be the wrong word, but normal people, just the average person without those challenges, why wouldn't we offer a chance to help them? And that's the other part. We often hear about, oh, the government is putting so much money into studies. They shouldn't be putting it into studies. They should be actually doing something. Here is an opportunity for people to help. And that is something I find we often end up doing is paralysis by analysis. Here is an opportunity not saying you have to help, but if you would like to help, here is a way you can help. And even then, there are people who have struggled and continue to struggle with addiction, who have gotten over it, who have gotten it under control, who then change their life around to say, I want to help other people. Right. And who those are people, struggling. those people absolutely need professional help. Those are not the people I don't think that anyone is talking about as having some, one of those, though they need to be dealt with in, in a way that is compassionate, but with professional help. There's no question about that. But we also see in this city groups, it doesn't have to be a person. Why, what, what's, what would be wrong with a group signing up for this Yeah, and saying, if you're someone in an encampment who would like to connect with a particular group that might be able to help you out an organization downtown, there's a, a building. If you look on vine street called the hub, which is not a government organization. It's, we don't need the government to solve all of our problems. We, we can have groups that step up, that have volunteers that get involved, that do good things. We don't, the idea that somehow we need to wait for government to solve everything and not only solve everything, but that we can't do anything until we have a complete answer that fixes everything to me is ludicrous. To me, it's missing the point entirely. It's why I think this rally today was, was totally misguided. If you have people who are willing to step up and I don't know if there are or groups, if you have people who are willing to step up and you have people who say, I am ready and wanting your help. Why would we not connect them and see if that can help? And here's the other part that I think sometimes people may overlook. How much does this cost the government? Not a dime. Maybe enough to cover a website? Yeah. 
or do, or have a staff person yeah. to be the connector for like, the yeah. It is significantly cheaper to say you're going to be the list keeper. Hey, somebody wants to connect, help them connect, and you're good to go. It's not something where we're going to be having a government oversight group and a committee and then the representative for the committee to go off to this organization to then go and represent this committee that then comes together on an overarching board. It's not one of those things. It's volunteers who want to help. It's regular people. It may be groups. Maybe it's something as simple as we want to help sponsor somebody so they can get back in. No, I, I... I, I don't pretend, I don't think anyone on council, and look, I don't defend council on everything by any stretch, but you listen to this station, you know we don't always defend council, but in this particular case, I don't think anyone in council has said that this particular registry idea is a solution to homelessness or to addiction or to mental health. I have not heard anyone say that. What I've heard is if there is a small group of people in this situation who might be helped, What's wrong with doing that to help them while we work on the bigger issue? If, if there is somebody who is saying, oh yeah, this is how we can fix everything. No, no, you're totally misguided. But if you're saying nobody can be helped through this, that it's impossible, that this is an absolute waste of time because there is nobody that could be gaining anything through this, you're being intentionally obstinate. That's what you're, you're being intentionally obstinate on this one and trying to pretend that we can only, that the only person, the only group that can help us is government. And you want to know something? If you're waiting for government to solve all of our problems, you're going to be waiting a long, long time. You just are. They don't have answers. They don't have answers. They don't have money. They don't have solutions. They're tied up in bureaucracy. If we can clear the path to allow the average person or group to make a difference, why in heaven's name would we not clear every hurdle possible for make that to make that happen? And something with this, if you want to take this to an analogy of weightlifting, let's say, would you rather lift a 50-pound weight or a 100-pound weight? What's easier to overcome? It may not be the answer, but it can certainly help get to a answer. Nobody starts by lifting An 500 pounds. Exactly. You work your way up and you do things along the way. Again, I just, I, I, I saw this, I saw it on the news and the news is up on the studio here and the TV and I saw this and I was like, why are you protesting the idea, an idea that might be a tool to help? What, what, what could possibly be dangerous or wrong with an idea that nobody has said is the solution, but it's a way to help? What could possibly be wrong with that? We elected, we elected this council. We kept hearing this is the election of change. We want new ideas. We want new thoughts. So you get people who come in and you get an interesting, out-of-the-box, creative idea. And what's the first thing that happens? Oh, shut up. We need government answers to this. That's exactly what we apparently were trying to get away from. I just, I think that every single person who is against this is missing the point completely. Completely. And I hope that they, I hope council comes up with more creative answers that little by little incrementally make differences as opposed to waiting for the one big perfect one that never arrives. And that's why I say that weightlifting thing. If everybody picks up five pounds, you can get a lot done. So Ben, you, you were playing that song. There is a new poll out that says only one quarter, this was in the Globe and Mail today, only one quarter of Canadians trust our government to regulate artificial intelligence. 
So as I read that, there were two thoughts that came to mind. One is, does that mean that we, well, obviously it means we don't believe they can do this, but two, should they be regulating artificial intelligence? What should, what should our government be doing to regulate or not regulate this? That's an interesting question of should they regulate? Because when you kind of think about it, something such as AI, for lack of a better term, it is a program like other ones that we use. But it has a unique ability to do things differently, I guess. So regulating it, I guess regulate it in what way? Well, I mean, look, we've got this government that's already saying they want to regulate the internet. We've had Bill C-11, they want to regulate CanCon on YouTube and things like that. It's a, you have to believe that government I think in order to believe in regulation, you have to believe that they are a benevolent organization that only has the betterment of the citizenry at heart rather than any kind of political or personal motives. I don't believe that. And I'm not saying that just about this government. I would say that about any government that given the power to regulate different apparati, they will always lean towards something that benefits them. Conservative, liberal, NDP, green, I don't care what it is. I don't care. I'm not pointing to this government. I'm saying in general, if you give government the power to control the information flow, they are never going to control it in a way that is negative to their cause. The other part is one thing we have seen with the internet is people who use the internet inherently dislike regulation. We look at VPNs. I'm sure many people listening, if you're listening right now and you've used a VPN to go, I like American Netflix better than this, or I like UK better than Canadian Netflix. Well, then you are part of the people who think this is kind of dumb that we regulate it so that way we get it in one way or another. So to go about and try and change the way you can or cannot use AI is also a bit misleading in terms of what AI can do. Yeah. I mean, look there, see that the one difference I would say with AI and where I would be okay. And this is rare. I mean, I'm usually like government stay out of this for the reasons I just set out, but I would be okay with regulating AI if it was going to be regulations as in what can you use it for? Not what can it say? Not what information can it give? What are the circumstances or what are the actions you can use? What are the applications you can use it for? And that's going to be something I would support as well. Just as right now, you can't go and log into, oh, I wonder what the BC Coast Guard is currently storing on their servers. You can't access that kind of stuff. Similarly, I think that having some sort of, you know, railings to just say, hey, AI is able to go out and search all over the internet and collect information and present it to you. If you give a certain selection of words, you know, I want to find everything that involves this, 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 and this, it will go out and say, Hey, here you go. So by not drawing on that, or similarly, if you were to try, you know, I'm trying to think, do you remember the anarchists cookbook? I, I vaguely, I remember the, I remember the wording of it. I, or the name of it. I don't remember what it was about though. So it was a print book that gave you all of the actual recipes to make things like thermite, napalm, you know, here are ways to overthrow a, mm, you know, okay. this kind of military 
establishment. You know, it was it was you think of the stereotypical anarchy, destroy everything, world's on fire. It was essentially the way to make IEDs, but it was a print book that somebody had made. If you had an AI and you were like, I wonder what it, you know, is required to make this kind of explosive, AI would be able to tell you that because it is a scientific formulation. And so something like this, giving guide rails or guard guardrails yeah, to yeah. prevent that kind of stuff where if you are a researcher who happens to be in chemicals working about, I don't know, something to do with gasoline refinement and hey, this is going to result a flammable product. I think that that makes sense. But just Joe Schmo being able to casually look up how do you refine uranium two thirty eight or yeah, and that I mean, I, again, we got to take a break here. We got to go to the news, but I like for universities, and I know we're talking about government here. For universities to put r- rules on how AI can be used, so people can't write exams with AI or write essays, pardon me, with AI, I would be a hundred percent for that. I don't think they should. I don't think that governments should have their staff people doing research reports using AI necessarily that they, we should be having proper research done on things. I mean, I'm not, I'm not totally against AI. I Absolutely. think there are, there are, there are uses for it that are valuable. I just, uh, you're right. I, it's, it's not about the, it's not, as long as the government isn't controlling what can be said, what the content is, as long as they're controlling what are the applications where it can be used? I'm fine with that. And I'm fine with that. And that then brings us back to the crux of the question. Do you trust this government well, that, to be the ones to put that in? And, 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 you know, the interesting part about this, and we got to go, the interesting part is only a quarter of Canadians trust government to regulate artificial intelligence. The, the, the story doesn't say this government. It says government, as in any government. And part of that is because I think we are starting to realize if we haven't already that we use the word government to mean all kinds of things. It's really just a group of bureaucrats, some who are good and some who are bad at their jobs. That's like any other line of work. There are people who are good and there are people who are bad, but somehow government seems to, you know, government's all knowing, all wise, all able to control and prevent and protect. No, there are people in government who stink at their jobs. And for that precise reason, you hear about, well, we look back to the Facebook and Mark Zuckerberg hearings and trials where it was, how do you make money? Well, these are people who are going to be making the rules who don't even understand how the current Yeah, we got to go, man. We got to go. Let me just read one, one paragraph from this Globe and Mail story. Last July, the commissioner announced an investigation into the AI-powered ArriveCan app. Remember ArriveCan? Which wrongly told more than 10,000 people to quarantine. See, this is why I think, as an example, this is why people wonder about this. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. All right, Ben, uh, there is a report from the Canadian, uh, from the JAMA, I'm not sure what J-A-M-A, Journal something, Pediatrics. Anyway, it's a, it's a, it's a, cited by the Canadian Pediatric Society, this particular study. And what this study is saying is that is screen time, televisions, computers, iPads, iPhones, all of them, screen time for children 
absolutely spiked during the pandemic. Everything because, you know, we were, we were making our kids, they couldn't go to school. They were doing school on their computers or on their iPads. They were not able to be with their friends. So what are you going to do? Well, you're going to play computer games. You're going to watch TV, whatever. Uh, Screen time absolutely spiked during the pandemic. But here's the real problem to this. Not just that it spiked during the pandemic. The, The issue, according to this study, is that it has not returned to pre-pandemic levels. In fact, it stayed considerably higher than it was before the pandemic. And some suggest that it's even gone up since then. We've become so used to turning our eyes to the computer screen to or the TV screen or whatever else that this is now the new normal. Now, I don't know about those of you listening. When I was young enough to be still being told what to do by mom and dad, and I know, you know, I know times change. I don't want to sound like that old guy, but when, when we were still young enough, it was, you played outside all the time. That was, that was what you did. Go out and get some fresh air, go out and play. Uh, I, my dad, for as long as he lived, even though, even when the statement went out of fashion, still referred to the TV as the idiot box. Always. It was the idiot box for the longest time. And this is not a point of great pride for me, although some people have been shocked when they've heard this. For the longest time, when I was a kid growing up, I was allowed one hour of TV a week. I could watch Hockey Night in Canada. That didn't count. But other than that, on Saturday night, I was allowed one hour of TV a week with the exception, Ben, if I could establish that what I wanted to watch was educational. I remember very vividly the, the attempt I made once upon a time to convince my dad that the Dukes of Hazard was about the royal family. <laughs> <laughs> Therefore, that should count as educational. <laughs> that, that lasted roughly 12 seconds until the intro when Daisy Duke in the intro was standing there on the side of the road. Uh, we, it quickly became clear this was not about the Dukes of, you know, the fiefdoms of old <laughs> English time. And I imagine something along the lines of, you'll learn about that topic a bit later in yeah. life. Now, well, you know what? That would, that would have counted as my one hour a week. Nonetheless, <laughs> this, this study that says that all, everybody's screen time, and they're talking about kids, but everyone's screen time is up way uh, so much more since the pandemic. Is your, let leave the kids aside for a sec. Do you think that you are in front of the computer screen or the phone or the TV? Are you using more screen time now than you did before the pandemic started? Honest, for me, I think I'm one of the rule or exceptions to the rule on this one. I've started doing a lot more dishes since I moved in with my fiance. So actually for me, my screen time's gone down since moving out with from my parents' place. But I can see why screen time going up throughout the pandemic would make sense because for lack of a better way of putting it, when you're told outside bad, well, then you start turning inward and what's there to entertain you. That's such a, and that was kind of what I was leaning toward when I was saying that, but we now have made it so that for our kids outside alone without parental supervision is scary somehow. You don't want to have your kid, you know, your kid shouldn't walk to school by themselves. I mean, they, there could be someone who abducts them or runs them over with a car or whatever else. I mean, I'm not saying it never happens. Obviously it can happen and has happened, 
but it certainly happened way less than you would think based upon our level of concern about this. But I mean, anyone else, anyone else, when they were kids, they would get up on a Saturday morning, they would watch cartoons, then they would head outside for the day and they would play and mom and dad had no idea where they were, no idea where they were. And you would come home in time for dinner when it was getting dark. Maybe your mom would stand out on the front porch and scream your name and you would hear it because you somehow just did because her voice had a certain pitch that could like echo through the Alps. I don't know. We could all hear our mom no matter where we were. But I just, yeah, now it is, it is just so much screen time. And clearly what the, what the pediatric researchers are saying with this is, uh, this is not ideal. This is not good for our kids. This is not great for imagination or brain development or thinking or, and, and like, we all know this, we all know this. When I go home after doing the show, if I just flop in front of the TV the whole point of doing that is to let my brain have a break. That's the whole reason we're sitting in front. So why would we think it's different for our kids? The other part is also humans by design are lazy. Because... Given th- an opportunity, sure. Well, you, I think that even to a degree of we would inconvenience ourselves to do something easier. Have you ever had something like a cable fall behind the couch while you are on the couch? You can stand up and put your arm behind and grab it, no problem. Or we can reach our arm all the way around over the back, try and kind of just stretch a little bit more, just a bit more, and then you get it. Well, Man, that took a lot more effort than you probably needed to. Why was the remote control invented in the first place? Uh, that's fair. I don't want to have to get up out of my chair and flick the channel on my TV. I can sit here and just remember the old ones, the clicky box, <laughs> where you had all those numbers and then you could move the little thing up to, and to a, like there were three levels. You put it to the middle one now and all those channels are now a different channel. And then you do it again. Oh, it was amazing. Oh, it was glorious. But you never had to move. And if you could have built a toilet into your chair, you would have never moved. And escalate that even now at streaming. Oh, yeah. I'm not even going to go and get the DVD off of the counter or the shelf and put it in. I'm just going to go on and put it on some sort of streaming device. It's it. We have, we spend, well, not we, uh, people who invent stuff are inventing things specifically to play to our, as you say, our natural laziness. What can we do that will make the, I mean, maybe, maybe to me, the epitome, the all time height of the laziness movement. And there's a lot of things that have been invented to make things easy for us that we don't have to, but the clapper may have been (laughs) (laughs) clap on, (laughs) clap off. If you are lying in bed and you, the sole amount of exertion you're doing is clapping your hands to turn off the house lights, we have reached peak laziness. Peak. I don't know that we could get further than that. What, blinking? Blink on, blink off, maybe? Look, look at the light and it turns on. <laughs> yeah, well, that, I, 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 don't, I can't think of anything that would be l- more lazy than that. That's a pretty hard one to top. But yeah. I think that also then loops into why it is that you know, for kids, it's also going up, but I'd even go to the young, young babies who are still in strollers. And why is it that they keep reaching for mom and dad's phone? Well, a monkey see monkey do Yes, mom and dad's always on it. So then I want to take a look at it. I want to see it. But the other parts also, I, I myself am not a parent, 
But if there's one thing I have come to understand, it's that parenting takes effort. A lot, a lot, a lot of effort. Oh yeah, just wait. Just wait. So now if I had a magical thing in my pocket that could say, take a lot of that effort off and keep my kid in front of me, keep my kid entertained and not trying to pull on my arm asking why, 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 or look at this. Can I have that? Why can't I have that? And then start screaming because I'm the bad guy for not being able to afford the $2,500 thing that goes on your wrist. Well, obviously I'd be showing my kid this thing, the flashing lights, everything it mesmerizes a kid. I, 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 I'm not talking about this topic, by the way, just to be clear, um, pretending that I was not guilty of screen timing my children. When I, when my daughter, who was my oldest child was probably four or five, my wife and I had made a decision that we would prefer if possible not to have her in daycare, that one of us would be home all the time. So my wife worked from morning till late afternoon. She came home and I had arranged my shift. So I, we tagged off and then I went to work and worked till two in the morning as an editor at another newspaper uh, in Brantford. And then I would come home and try to make myself sleep right away, which never worked. So it was usually like 3.30 before I'd be asleep. But then I had to get up at seven to look after my daughter, which I loved looking after her. But I got to tell you, you get by about Wednesday. Oh, I thank goodness for big comfy couch. The children's, <laughs> I could put her in front of there and she could keep herself out while I would like be half conscious for half an hour or an hour or whatever it was. Now, the flip side, when I tried to do the same with my son, he somehow decided that he wanted to watch Caillou which was horrible, horrible. The, Caillou was the thing that eventually convinced me our kids need no screen time. <laughs> Outside good. Outside is good. No Caillou. Please, no Caillou. You've got to start introducing them to, hey, have you ever wondered what mud tastes like? Yeah, hey, I, you know what? It's, uh, mud is good for kids. Builds character. No, not character. It's, it, it builds... Um, Germs. Germs. Yeah. It builds resistance apparently where anyway, it's, this all goes back to the screen time thing. I just, I, I don't know how we're going to turn this ship around. Once, once the, once a child, I'm convinced once a child has, despite my example, they weren't in front of the TV all day. It was like an hour while I sorted myself out in the morning. It's like, yeah, watch this for an hour. But the other parts also, this wasn't when you were out at the store. Hey, we're waiting for me to get yeah, my driver's have license here. Yeah. Just watch this. Yeah, you're right. Here's an iPad. Let's make it even bigger. If your kids had the option between, hey, here's a little 24-inch thing compared to, I got an 85-inch behemoth on the wall. We both know which one they want to watch. A hundred percent. Yeah, no, you are absolutely right on that one. So, so it's, I uh, think that it's one of those things where couple that with just by virtue of we're going to a very technological heavy world that happens to rely on screens there. I don't think that going back to, Hey, you got to go out. We got a few more cornrows that got to be made and we got a few more pigs that need butchering and we got to go collect the eggs and feed the cows and got to go back and start making everything again. It just, you gotta, you're going to become a programmer let's, is what might happen. Let's take a quick break here, but you know what? There is a study that needs to be done. 
Because isn't it true, and, and this is a very generalized statement, and people will take issue with some of this that I'm saying because it's so general, and I, I acknowledge that ahead of time. We generally, uh, many people generally would say, oh, those who are out in the country, they're more simple folk. They're not, the people in the city, they're more urbane, more refined, more educated. I don't believe that necessarily <laughs> to be the case, but that can be a stereotype. I bet you in 10 years, the kids who are living on the farm and getting up and doing the chores and not sitting in front of the TV screens and the computer screens and others who don't, I'd love to see a comparison of ability to think through problems and to resolve things and just have creative ideas. I bet those people who are required to still not be in front of a screen all day will be miles ahead, wherever they are, wherever they are, they'll be miles ahead. I'd even want to see what it's like now. I can almost guarantee the world understanding, just general knowledge of the world and how it works. Somebody who grew up out in the country will have a much better understanding than somebody who grew up in the city. I, I, I absolutely agree. And, And it'll be interesting to see when, uh, when and if any kind of study like that is ever done. I don't know if it will be though. And you want to know why? Is there anybody who wants to fund a study that's going to tell all the rich people who pay for their studies that their kids are idiots? Who's, who's going to want to fund something that's going to make people mad. That's going to make them not want to fund that study anymore. Or maybe it will inspire them to go out and explore Maybe getting a fourth house, and this one's going to be near the cornfield, is going to be great. We're going to live near barley. Uh, This is a bizarre story. Roger Waters, the bassist for Pink Floyd, is at the center of a huge scandal right now because he was at a a concert in Germany on sometime this week. I'm not sure what day it was this week. And here's where this got really weird. Uh, During the show... For part of it, he was dressed in a black trench coat with a red armband and appeared to be mimicking an SS officer, a Nazi officer. Now, he seems to say this was an artistic representation to show I was not trying to be a Nazi. I was showing the evil of the Nazis. I'm demonstrating the outrageousness of what's going on what was going on with the Nazis. Nonetheless, there are lots of people who said, wait a second. No, no, you look like you were not doing that. I don't know what he was doing. I don't know if this was a, I'm going to use this example to show the horrendousness or whatever. I don't know. But Ben, who we're talking to today, should it be allowed? And I don't know who the arbiter is who makes the decision, but should you be allowed in 2023 to make an artistic point with offensive symbols? If you are showing, for example, the, the offensiveness or the horribleness of racism and you, to make your point, are doing something in a play or a movie with a Ku Klux Klan hood on or dressed as a Nazi or whatever, is this, is this acceptable in some capacities to make a point or should we just say, no, never, never, never. I think that this is something where it depends on how it is received. And by that, I mean, if he is up on stage demonstrating whatever is his, what he's trying to demonstrate, whatever the topic is, 
I think that it is only an artistic expression, an artistic demonstration of something, of the evils of something, if the people who are also there are seeing that and going, that is bad, that should not be done. If you are standing there on top of you know a pedestal and you are doing all of these motions and the people who are sitting there watching you are going, that is what I support. I am here because you do this kind of stuff and I want to be a part of it. Then it becomes problematic. So does that mean that everybody in the audience has to have the same view? Because I, I mean, look, it may have been, and I don't know, the story doesn't say, but let's say 80% of the people in the audience thought, oh, I get what he's doing here. I get that he's showing how evil the Nazis were and how we don't want to go down this path. And it's a comment on fascism and all the rest. I get it. But what about the 20%, let's say, and I'm just making up numbers. What about the 20% who go, why, why is he dressing as a Nazi and celebrating Nazism? What if the 20% don't get it? And that is where I find sometimes artsy, fartsy stuff can go too far. And by that, I mean, when it is so veiled that this is showing the evil of that, it's like, are you sure? I can see that you're showing this and you're showing that you're, you've got, you know, the jack boots on and you've got an armband on and there's a brown shirt, but you're just wearing that. You're not actually showing that this is bad. Then I think that that's when things start going into that. Well, I could interpret it as being good. I could interpret it as being bad. And that's when I think that, you know, trying to be artistic can go in that look, you're, you're trying, you're not succeeding in what you're trying to do. Yeah. Although, and again, it's, it's so difficult because I think that the same action could be construed differently by two different people. I could do something right now and you could say, oh, I get what you're doing. And someone could say, I don't get what you're doing or vice versa. I, I I mean, I don't know the answer to this. Like, I think that if we were to say, under no circumstances can anyone ever wear a Ku Klux Klan hood again in a movie or on a play or anything, regardless of what the intent is, regardless of what the whatever. I, I, I think we get into some dangerous territory there by saying we're, in, we're expecting that that symbol alone is so dangerous that it can't even be used to express the danger of it. And that is where I think that trying to eliminate it entirely. I agree. Eliminating it entirely and exterminating it is something that should be done. But the thing is that cannot ever be achieved guaranteed hundred percent and it will never come back. And that's where I think that I remember watching, um, Oh brother, where art thou? And there is a scene where there are KKK members. And I remember as a viewer watching that and going, are they able to do that? Somebody said this was okay. And I think back to when we hear about the the color barrier was broken and people were outraged and all that. That's because you weren't used to that. That's why you were outraged by it. You weren't used to that. And I think that if you ever reach the point where everybody's demonstrating why Nazism is bad and everybody's you know wearing the, the regalia and showing that this is bad, look people become used to that and then it's no longer you're showing how bad it is and that's where i think that something like this if it is used sparingly and it is used powerfully then i can understand why you are demonstrating this is bad this should not ever come back in any capacity i 
again, I, I can't speak. I didn't see the concert. I have not spoken to Roger Waters. Neither have I on and so any of these. I'm loath. I'm always loath to say, oh, he is racist or whatever else, or unless there's better context. And, and generally, I'm with you. Generally, I think you can tell if something is tongue in cheek or something is making a point or if it looks celebratory. Generally, not always, not always. And I, I, I almost now have to go and look this up to see, and not just the, this is the difficult part. Social media and YouTube and other things have made it very difficult because now you might see the clip from the beginning of him doing something in this Nazi outfit to the end of him doing something, but you don't see what led into it or what happened afterwards to see whether it was a mocking of the Nazis or if he was celebrating it. You almost have to have been there. And that's what makes art so difficult now. Or, and when I say art, I mean like TV art or performance art. Just video in general. In general. Because if you don't get the full context, I mean, I can tell you that uh, one one of the things that I always find most um, interesting is when people take quotes from various sources and completely misconstrue them because they haven't given the full quote. Absolutely. That is, it's, it's objectively wrong. It's objectively wrong. I mean, I, I know this from, from, you know, I've heard people take Bible verses and they take one line and they leave out everything that's around it. Yep. And it's like, well, wait a second. No, by pulling something out, if you take a line out of Shakespeare, I, I guarantee you that you could go to William Shakespeare's plays. And if you want to just find a line with no context and you could prove, quote, quote, prove William Shakespeare was a insert whatever, insert whatever by no context, just this that line. line. And then you put it by itself and it looks horrible. And so, as I say, I mean, this, uh, it says that Germany is actually investigating him for this and Germany does have very unique, specific laws around neo-Nazism and Nazism and paraphernalia and things like that. It's a very, I don't think anywhere else has anything remotely like this. It's really hard though, to know what the circumstance is, but equally, I would be loath to say at no point ever sh- should anyone ever dress in this, regardless of what you're doing it for, to make a point. I, because that then gets into, well, what else do we then start banning? If, if some people are upset by police, do we say nobody can dress as a police officer? We have to change police uniforms and nobody can dress as a police officer because some are offended by the police. Some, or, something that's also hard with a lot of this is if you change it to say, we prefer using this word instead, well, guess what? People are just going to start using that word to refer to the previous word to refer to the derogatory message. So it's going to be one of those things where you can keep changing the word, you know, whether you call it shell shock or PTSD, we understand what you're trying to say, you know, yeah. whether, oh, yeah. whether, you know, you change the word or not, the message and somebody trying to use it in a derogatory manner is going to stay. So, but I do have to say the fact that people are saying he did this, we shouldn't be doing this, I think is at the very least from a general concept, 
I'm glad to see that society wants to talk about yeah, this well, kind of stuff. Uh, Mike just writes in and says, Norman Lear made a career out of exposing racism with the character Archie Bunker. The whole show was designed to show people what racism and bigotry in North America look like. It's a valid point. And if you had said... We can't have any racism. I mean, uh, To Kill a Mockingbird is the same kind of thing. And I've always thought that those who point to Archie Bunker and say, you cannot show that show anymore, or you cannot have kids read To Kill a Mockingbird, you're missing the point. If you read this, there is, with, again, the context, there is no way you could read those things, read that book or watch that show and go, oh, they're celebrating racists. Archie Bunker was the butt of the joke on the show. He was the one who more often than not was the buffoon almost always. And, 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 you know, uh, Atticus Finch was the hero because he was the white guy who wasn't racist and helped. Anyway, we got to take another break. Uh, lots more coming up. Love to hear from you. We, our text is open, 905-645-3221. Let us know what you think. Can I say one last thing? Go ahead, yeah. I think that if you have it out in the open where people can see and people can know and people can learn and understand, then people will be a lot more likely to want to not do it. Ben, earlier this week, I was talking about a move that is being done in Ireland where warning labels are being put on bottles of alcohol drinking alcohol, not rubbing alcohol, um, at the stores saying alcohol can cause cancer. Kind of like warning labels on cigarettes. I know you're a guy who mix, you've taken some mixology courses. You are a fan of, you know, putting together some interesting drinks and that kind of thing. Oh yeah. Do you think that putting warning labels on bottles is going to make people less likely to buy? Maybe. I think that by doing this you're going to kind of break the mystique of mommy's going to have a drink of wine. Um, you know, like that kind of the, the laissez-faireness of alcohol in the modern day culture. While I understand its cultural significance, you know, you think of how many, you know, oh, good hearty men are going around there. You know, they're going to have the whiskey to, you know, pad their spirits and, you know, like that kind of stuff. You think of the drinking songs and you think of that kind of jolliness that comes along with it. But alcohol does do a lot of damage to many people around the world, whether it's in terms of alcoholism, but also in cancer diagnosis. It's hard to deny that side of things, but I think that there is still going to be that element of, I guess almost that element of danger that, you know, I don't care, I'm going to have a drink. I'm going to have a slug of whiskey. I'm going to have a beer. I'm going to have two beers. You know, I don't think that's going to really change. I just, I, I look at this and I think if you are someone who has a problem with alcohol, who probably, and when we talked to the person earlier in the week, the expert, they were pointing out that it can be a cancer risk, mostly if you are a heavy drinker. This okay. is not the odd person who has the odd tipple. This is a if you, know, you are if, if you're heavy drinking. Yeah. So if you are a heavy drinker, you're going to have your drinks no matter what, in my mind. You are not going to even give a second glance at a label. And if you are not a heavy drinker, are you going to look at the label? Maybe, but it's really not directed to you anyway. Is it going to make you less likely to buy some? Possibly. But here's the next part of this question. 
if we are going to point to, and I, look, I, I, I'm, I'm ambivalent either way. It doesn't really make a difference because, as I say, I think it's going to make no difference at all. But if we are going to now put warning labels on alcohol, what else should we be put warning, putting warning labels on? Should all fast food have a warning label? Should all candy have a warning label? Should all food that has been grown with pesticides, re- fresh food, have a warning label? Should, like, wh- should all pop have a warning label? Where do you then say, that's sufficient, that's good enough, we've covered all the warning labels we need? And that's something that I find extra annoying about the general trouble with this conversation, with this topic, is something like biology, we like to think that, well, well, this is going to cause that when it comes to something like organic chemistry and biology. The problem is a lot of biology is pretty random. Some of it is predictable, no doubt about it. You have a science devoted to it. But the thing is something like, you know, do you have good genes or do you have bad genes? Well, similarly, are you going to be part of the group that is going to be Oh, you had a drop and you're not going to stop now? Or are you going to be the, I can put behind myself kegs of beer and never feel a thing, let alone get an addiction? And so something like saying that this is going to cause, and then you get these, well, I also don't know. What are these labels going to be trying to say as far as cancer? Are they going to go so far as to what we see on you know cigarette packs now where it's, here's the way crazy exaggerated this is what's going to happen to you if you do even a little bit of this you're going to be just a mess or is it going to be hey there is a legitimate risk that comes with doing this yeah i don't well it's not here yet it's in ireland and we'll see if it makes a difference there i suspect that it's almost a guarantee that in time it'll come here Almost, I would almost guarantee that it'll end up coming here. I just, as I say, I, to me, if you, if, if you are one of the people who are most, who this should be most directed at, you're going to be one of the people who are going to be least impacted by this. And that's the thing. You already know, chances are, if you are addicted to alcohol, you already know this is a problem or... You might be in the, I'm fine, I've got control of it, and maybe this could help, but at the same time, chances are you already have heard, hey, alcohol causes cancer. If you have one, if you're one of those people who has one drink a week, on a Friday night you have a, a, a dram, are you really going to change your habit and say, oh man, that one little sip of whiskey is going to cause me to have cancer? Unlikely, because you're going to look around and see all the other people who are doing all the other stuff and they're not getting cancer. So yeah, I just, to me, it's again, one of those things that if we're going to go down this path and fine, if you want to, because I, I, I think it essentially becomes a wash because I don't know that it makes any difference. You just, to me it opens the door to say, how many other things do we need warning labels on? And once you've put warning labels on everything, you've put warning labels on nothing. Absolutely. Once everything is a problem, nothing's a problem. Something that I think was going to be an interesting side effect is how will this impact restaurants and bars? Because you think of, well, restaurants and bars spend tons of money on the ambiance, the right, the right, you know, tone of lighting can make all the difference uh, between 
this is a classy establishment that only serves the finest of whiskeys, to, you know, here's a dive bar, what are you drinking? You have a pretty big difference between those, and then you even think of something like a Montana's. They serve alcohol there. You think of a family establishment, chances are they've got some sort of liquor license. Yeah, yeah. and do you have to then have every waiter say, oh, you would like a... Uh, you want a Jack Daniels? Uh, just to warn you, that causes cancer. Yeah. But after, again, after you've heard this enough times for enough products, you're just going to ignore it. It's like, it's like the TV commercial now that you've seen a thousand times. It's, it, you just don't even pay attention anymore. It's just, anyway, we got to, we got to run. Unfortunately, you're great tonight. Appreciate you. you doing this. And by the way, uh, not just me saying that, uh, I love you, Scott, but I love Ben Moore. Great show. <laughs> That, of course, came from Ben's dad, Clayton. Oh, <laughs> I appreciate so, that, Dad. Yeah, there you go. So uh, Dad's listening. That's good. That's good. Dad's listening. He's on it. Ben, great job today. We uh, we love letting Ben have his say here. It's really fun. I like doing yeah, this. Well, there you go. He did a great job. Thank you. The Scott Radley Show. Weekday evenings from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML. The Scott Radley Show podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Radley. Thanks again for listening, and do not forget to subscribe to this podcast. It is free. You will never miss an episode. And also, be sure you rate us and review us. Whatever you think of us, we'll take it. Thanks for listening.